Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. Every year when Easter comes around, I always find it a bit of a a struggle actually to figure out what to preach about, which seems very odd, right? Since Easter is the foundational mystery of our faith. If Jesus Christ did not bodily, in history, rise from the dead to never die again, St. Paul says, our faith is in vain, nothing else matters. We're still in our sins, nothing has, nothing has changed. Pope Benedict in his series, Jesus of Nazareth, talks about this and he says that if Jesus Christ did not actually rise from the dead to never die again, then ultimately he's nothing more than a failed religious teacher, right? From his teachings, we can kind of maybe piece together a sort of interesting worldview. Maybe we can put together sort of an interesting moral code, sort of unique elements that we could pick and choose from to incorporate into the way we, we live our life. But ultimately, nothing will have happened that has any real bearing in a significant way on the history of mankind. Only if Jesus Christ has risen bodily from the dead has something really new actually happened. Everything rises or falls on this. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we all might as well just go home, (laughs) to be quite frank. Nothing else that we do in the Christian faith matters at all. If, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. If he did rise from the dead, though, then everything has changed. Because that means he will be the only person in the history of the world who has conquered death and all the other consequences that, that come from that. So I was thinking to myself as I was pondering what to preach about, it's like, why is it so difficult to, <laughs> to come up with something to talk about it? on Easter Sunday when this is the central mystery of our faith. And and I think the reason is that this is, while it's the most significant event in the life of our Lord, it's really the only event that has no eyewitnesses. Think about it. In the actual tomb, when he rose from the dead, there was nobody there. It it happened in silence. It happened in a a place where where no one was present to see it. Think of all the other events in the life of our Lord. Just two days ago, his crucifixion, right? Hundreds, maybe thousands of people witnessed him carrying his cross and witnessed him die on on Calvary. You think about Holy Thursday when he instituted the Eucharist and the priesthood. He had the 12 apostles with him. And then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and they were there and then some soldiers showed up and then Pilate and go back to Palm Sunday probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people welcoming him into Jerusalem. You think about his public ministry, feeding a crowd of 4,000 and a crowd of 5,000. Probably tens of thousands of people witnessed him during his public ministry. Even in his hidden years in Nazareth, from 
from a child all the way up to 30 years old, the townspeople would have known him. Obviously, Mary and Joseph knew him. When he was born, Mary and Joseph were there, some shepherds, angels, and so on. Even what we would consider to be the most hidden moment in his life, the moment of the incarnation, was, was still, you know, the, Mary and the angel Gabriel were, were still a part of that. Really, the resurrection is, is the only event where, where nobody was around. So how do we know that it actually happened? Well, Jesus had to appear to all sorts of people after he rose from the dead to give them these external signs and proofs that what happened in this dark tomb that nobody was there to, to witness was actually real. So we know that he appeared to Mary Magdalene on Easter morning. He appeared to Simon Peter. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the eleven in the upper room on Easter Sunday night. And then again a week later, we read also that he had an appearance to over 500 disciples at one time. There are over 10 recorded accounts of his resurrection appearances in the Gospels. He had to give them these external signs so that they would know about this hidden reality that had occurred, you know, with, with nobody there to, to see it. He had to give them these external signs so they would know that he had actually broken the power of death, right? Conquered our, our, our most ancient foes, sin and death. You know, on Easter Sunday at the vigil last night and then throughout the Easter season, there's a lot of attention given to baptism. A lot of attention given to baptism. At the Easter Vigil, we baptize catechumens. We didn't have anyone this year. We have about five or six people that will probably be baptized next year, but they weren't, they weren't prepared enough to, to say yes this Easter. But normally in the Easter Vigil, we baptize catechumens. We also renew our baptismal promises, which we'll do in just a moment after, um, after the homily. I, we, we bless water on Easter. And baptism, along with all the sacraments, are basically a mirror image of this whole resurrection reality that I just described. The resurrection, the most important event in the history of the world, that opened up a path to heaven, that made it possible for our sins to be forgiven, that broke the power of death, it all happened in secret. It, it wasn't accessible to the senses, and so Jesus had to give these external signs. In baptism, when you and I were baptized, the most radical thing happened to us that will ever happen to us in this life. Our souls were dead because of original sin, and they were resurrected in the moment of our baptism. No day in your life will ever hold a candle even close to that moment. And yet, when we were baptized, I mean, did we did we feel the resurrection of our soul? No, you, you can't sense that. Could you see the soul sort of rising from death to life? No, it's beyond the senses. So how do we know that it happened? External signs. We see the water, which is a sign of cleansing. Or we see the water being poured. These external signs that show us what is happening interiorly within that person, beyond 
our, our senses. But there's something else that is important for us to ask, which is, what about all the people we meet during our life who weren't there when we were baptized? They weren't there to see the signs, the water, and the words. How will they know that within us, in our souls, we have gone from death to life? That our sins have been wiped away? That we have been made sons and daughters of the Most High God? That God has chosen to come and dwell in our souls as in a temple? These things that I'm afraid we're so used to hearing when we grow up Catholic, and we have no idea how incredible they are. To be adopted into God's family, you know, I grew up hearing that, and it, it didn't phase me. I was like, okay, sure, great, part of God's family. We don't, we don't understand how amazing that is. God is being itself the creator of the entire universe, we are like a speck of dust. And he chooses to make us his sons and daughters. That is insane. If we even understood a fraction in a philosophical or theological sense of, of what is involved in that, it would be like, this is a very poor analogy, forgive me, <laughs> poorer than most analogies, which always fall short by definition. But it would be like, those of you who are married, if you, if you chose to adopt as a child, like, I don't know, an insect. <laughs> it's, just, it's just absurd. The, and that doesn't even touch. The difference between us as a creature and God as creator, between the divine and the human, is an infinite gap. There's not an infinite gap between us and an, and an insect, right? And, and notice how absurd that sounds. God making us his sons and daughters is infinitely more radical than that, right? And this happened for us in, in baptism. And then God chooses, oh, to just add on top of it, hey, my creature, even though you're just human and, and I'm divine, I'm gonna come and live in your soul. That is crazy. That is absolutely insane that he would choose to do that. The only way people will know that that's happened to us is if they were at our baptism and they understand what's going on. Or if we live in such a way that we give exterior signs that we have been radically changed on the inside. First of all, that means we have to live with joy. No one will ever know that you have been completely transformed on the inside unless you're joyful. It will never happen. And if God has raised up our souls from death to life in baptism, why would we not be excited about that? <laughs> why, why would we not be delirious with joy for that. What a gift. Nothing we earned, nothing we deserve. <laughs> He's saved a spot for us in heaven if we stay faithful to Him. Right, this should fill us with 
a, a, a joy that is immediately palpable to people that we meet. If you're with somebody who's never met you for longer than 30 minutes, and the thought has not popped into their head yet that, hmm, there's something a little bit different about this person. We're not, we're not living in the truth of our baptism. We don't realize what has been done to us by God. I was talking to a guy recently who went, he's discerning a vocation to religious life, and he went to spend a few days with uh, the Dominican Fathers and Brothers in Washington, D.C. They have a community there of about 60 um, Dominican priests and brothers. And he came back and we were talking, and he told me, and he's only been Catholic for about a year, so he's a recent convert, and he told me, he's like, I've never been in a place with that much joy. Like, it, it shocked me. Like, he said, he said it, even if I had gone there with sort of a stony heart, it would have been next to impossible to not be affected by, by the joy of these priests and brothers and the, and the way they, they loved each other, the way they lived in community. That's how it should always be with us, friends. <laughs> That's how it should always be. Not just when, you know, a non-believer comes into a Catholic church should they, should they encounter that? They should encounter that in us individually. If someone's with you longer than 30 minutes and, and they, don't, they don't think, ah, oh, there's something different about this person. We're, we're not living in the joy of, of what God has, has done for us. But it can't stop there. We need to also give external signs of what's happened inside of us through words and deeds, right? For somebody to be raised from death to life, to have had a promise made to them by God that they will live in perfect happiness for eternity if we stay faithful, and to not tell other people about that with words doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. We, we get excited to, to talk to other people about some great restaurant that we ran across. Please. <laughs> like, that is so far away from what God has done for us in baptism, and yet we're hesitant to, to tell other people about it. Why? Why? I think it's because we don't, we don't really understand what He's done for us. We don't fully grasp the reality of being raised from death to life. We have to tell other people about this. And if you realize what God has done for you, it will happen naturally. You will not be able to help yourself. The apostles, after they're brought in, this is post-Pentecost, and they're, they're flogged and said, stop talking about this Jesus. They tell the authorities, what do they say? They say, we, we cannot but, but speak about what we have seen and heard. It is literally impossible for us to not talk about Jesus. That same sentiment should be, it should be one that we all have. It should be impossible. When you realize what God has done for you, it should be impossible to not talk about Him. And then it, we also have to give exterior signs of the in, inward transformation in our actions. We have to love. That is what sets believers apart. We have to have extreme charity for people around us. 
even people who hate us, we still have to will their good. Right? This, is, this is maybe the most unique hallmark of Christianity, loving enemies. Right? People should see that and think to themselves, wow, that, that person is different. That is not normal to love in that way. Right? The early father Tertullian has the famous quote that many of you have probably heard, that thousands of people became Christians in the early centuries simply by watching how Christians loved people. He said, see how they love one another. Like, can people say that about you, about me? Would they literally think about converting to Christianity because of your radical charity for others? That you would go out of your way constantly and consistently to will someone else's good even when they don't want yours. Today is Easter Sunday. Let us be filled with extraordinary joy for what God has done for us. Nothing we deserve, nothing we earned, but something out of his love that he wanted to give us. Let's rejoice and be glad. And let us also commit ourselves to staying faithful to the gift of our baptism until death.